1: so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.
2: I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, everyone must tune in this Sunday, premiering killer relationship with faith jenkins uh she's terrific uh she's an eternal uh, attorney uh she's a legal commentator and she's terrific every time, every time we see her in anything in and again this sunday it's a must 7 p.m eastern time on oxygen um true crime faith jenkins is our very special guest thrilled to have you faith how are you
0: thank you frank i'm great i'm great thank you for having me
2: well, if you can give us a give us a rundown of the show. It sounds great to me, but you could probably explain it much better.
0: Yes, it's Killer Relationship. It premieres this Sunday in each hour long episode we're gonna examine romance from the beginning, when it's great, and we're gonna follow what happens in each of these cases and why they end in someone being killed and someone dying. And Oh, Frank, I wanted to do this show. I started my career um, in New York. And I was at the Manhattan DA's office for a number of years as a prosecutor. And then I worked in family court doing divorces. I became a, a judge on TV on divorce court. So I really pulled from all of my experience to offer a unique perspective in this show. Um, and we really get to the crux of the issue. When something like this happens, because we've all had relationships, so everyone can relate to this. Most of us have had relationships that didn't work out for one reason or another, but what makes people go to the extreme in the end, and that is what this show examines.
2: Yeah, I I was thinking before you, uh, you kind of reminded folks of of what you've done but i was uh, i was thinking when i saw this show and you that you were the perfect host for it I, you've you've touched on all aspects of of what could be happening here and again uh, i'll remind everyone this sunday 7 p.m eastern time on oxygen true crime killer relationship with faith jenkins is the name of it it's a must watch frank mckay here with faith Jen- uh, jenkins faith uh, are you noticing a common denominator in these, um, in these people, the uh, the the bad folks in the uh, in, in the situation here, the killers, uh, are you noticing a common denominator uh, in how they uh, they lived before the relationship, or are they all kind of different?
0: There are a couple of common denominators, uh, Frank, in this series, and they're probably the what makes this series uh, really intriguing. Most of the people, most of the murderers, they committed these extreme acts. They had never even had a parking ticket before. So um, in our premiere episode on Sunday, we'll tell the story of Michael Blagg. He was considered a pillar in his community. He was very involved in the church, a former military person. By all accounts, from the outside looking in, people thought they had a seemingly perfect marriage. Another common theme you'll see, just like him in so many of these other cases, he had a secret. And he did not want his secret to be exposed. And he was willing, and he wanted that secret to be hidden at all costs. And even if it meant his family dying, he was okay with that. So. So, we really dig deep into the psychology of what makes someone go to that level of extreme to kill.
2: How many shows have you have you shot so far and uh, and and how far in advance have uh, have you looked at the uh, at the different cases?
0: We started researching cases uh, last year, early last year um, to find the right ones to showcase in this show. And we've shot eight episodes. And there will be eight episodes as a part of this this series that starts on uh, Sunday. And we really try to get a variety of cases to showcase the theme of the series. And so you're going to see cases like Michael Black where someone has a secret. You're going to see another case that a murder just happened last year where a husband used the pandemic when COVID-19 first hit and we became so aware of it, Uh, a husband used the pandemic to murder his wife and tell everyone through her phone that she wasn't responding or seeing anyone because she was sick in the hospital with COVID-19. So you're going to see a range of cases from different different time periods, different years, uh, people with very different backgrounds and perspectives, but they all have something in common. They were willing to kill um, when a relationship was ending instead of just... Allowing people to go their separate ways, or even go through
2: a divorce. Faith, are you experiencing any déjà vu? You have a long history, uh, you know, with the DA's office in Manhattan, and uh, and your work as an attorney and uh, divorce work, and you know, of course, divorce court. Are you are, are you experiencing any, uh, so to speak, déjà vu when you see these cases? You know, I
0: it's still. It still surprises me sometimes that I'm surprised when I read and research some of these cases because at some point you really think, wow, I think I've seen it all, and I just haven't. And when you watch the cases that we showcase, that we talk about and examine on this show, there are some twists that you don't see coming. For the people involved, no one saw it coming. I didn't see it coming, and I think that people will be surprised. And also, though, when someone's life is unjustly taken, there's no real justice in any of these cases because you can't get this person back. That would be the only justice. But there is justice in the sense of, we go through the investigations in detail. We show how these cases were solved and there is closure and accountability in all of them in the end and people get to see how that happens.
2: Are you experiencing support? Uh, experiencing support from the victims' families? Are you getting uh, backlash or or pushback from them that uh, that it's coming on to uh, to a show? Or are, are people happy that these are being exposed and that the uh, the truth is being told?
0: Well, it, it, some people, and understandably. They don't want to come on air and, and talk about a very painful uh, experience in their lives. But, but, so we'll have friends of uh, the victims or someone connected to the victim uh, speak out about who this person was. Because it's, it's really not, a, we, we don't want to, uh, we're not in the business of just being salacious. That's not what we want to do. These stories really uh, center around the victims and the people who were killed, and you're going to be connected to them. You're going to feel connected to them. You're going to feel the pain of the loss. You're going to feel a range of emotions. So we were very sensitive in the way we wanted to share their stories and, and sensitive to the fact that you know they do have family and friends that are still grieving and going through the losses. You never get over it. Right, but just with time, you try to move past it and pick up the pieces in your life. But more so, we wanted to focus on why they deserved to get the justice that they did and and the fact that they did get that in the sense of that someone was held accountable in the end.
2: Faith, congratulations on everything. Do you have a quick website, a social media site to give us where we could follow along?
0: Yes, I'm actually going to live tweet this Sunday night. I would love for people to join me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Judge Faith. I've also been posting on my Instagram about it, Judge Faith Jenkins. So uh, I'll be all over social media Sunday night and answering questions and engaging with viewers. And I would love for everyone to join me.
2: Faith, thanks for being here. Thank you, Frank. Faith Jenkins, everyone. Uh, again, she's wonderful in everything you see her in. Uh, this will be no different, I assure you. Uh, she's She's got the experience, she's got the know-how, and she's got the presence, uh, tremendous presence on TV, and uh, i got to believe this is a big hit for Oxygen True, true Crime. Uh, I'll be watching, and I urge everyone else to as well. It's called Killer Relationship with Faith Jenkins, and I, I'll, I'll tell you one uh, one thing I, I always love is when they, they hire the right person Person to do the job, and I think you'll see that 7 p.m. Eastern time this Sunday, and uh, and you know follow it Sundays after that. Sometimes they just get they get an actor or an actress and somebody who really doesn't belong, and they try to force them into a position. Faye Jenkins has been there. The Manhattan DA's offers a stellar record and a tremendous record in private practice, and of course you've seen her on TV. As uh, as Judge Faith in divorce court, Uh, she's she's found a niche here with this, and uh, I've got to believe they're going to have a hit on their hands. Uh, Again, this Sunday, check her out. Killer relationship with Faith Jenkins, and uh, she's an attorney. She's a legal commentator. She is a uh, legal uh, 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 analyst, rather, and um, again- Uh, Check her out in this role um, as host of Killer Relationship with Faith Jenkins. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down.
1: He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.
2: I'd like to welcome everyone. To breaking it down Frank McKay here with someone who's been a champion of voter protection for a for a long time uh, absolutely terrific and talented man the latest from him is uh, is he is the editor one of the editors of a book that I can't wait to get and purchase and everyone's got to get it absolutely gotta gotta get this book the forwards by Aaron Sorkin. and the name of the book is the trial of the chicago seven it's the transcript the official transcript of of that trial and uh, mark levine is our very special guest mark l levine uh, thrilled to have you how are you
3: okay very pleased to be on your show thank you well
2: i'll tell you there's there's never been a more appropriate time for a book like this to come out and i think uh, you're going to have a lot of a lot of interest in this because of what's going on now can you remind the folks about the chicago seven
3: Sure. Uh, and actually, the interesting thing, is originally it was Chicago 8, because there was an 8th defendant named Bobby Seale, who was one of the leaders of the Black Panther movement, who was severed from the case after it was Judge Hoffman, who conducted this trial, put him in ch- courtroom in chains. He, they gagged him and put him in the courtroom. First time ever that has happened in American history. Wow. But the Chicago 7 were seven people who were in Chicago trying to lead peaceful demonstrations to protest the Vietnam War and they were there because the Democratic National Convention was there that week when they were nominating a person to run for the United States. Lyndon Johnson had stepped down uh, at the beginning of April, surprising everybody, but there was a lot of feeling against the Vietnam War. It was an awful year that year. You know, yeah. Martin Luther King was killed in sixty in April. Bobby Kennedy was killed in, in uh, June, and the Democrats then were going to nominate Johnson's vice president, Hubert Humphrey. And the... The progressive movement was opposed to that, and they wanted to end the war, and they wanted to show the people that the war was bad and to protest it and to protest Humphrey's domination. So they came to Chicago, and they tried to get permits from Mayor Daley to demonstrate there. It's interesting. It's called a conspiracy. But some, some, some of them didn't even know each other beforehand. Bobby Seale flew in for an hour. He didn't know about this stuff. The, the, the main leaders, which people know about, of these peaceful, of these demonstrations, which attempted to be peaceful until the police, on the night that they were nominating Humphrey, took their clubs and bashed into them. Governor Walker's report, Governor Walker of, Chicago, of uh, Illinois, who, who term ended in 1973, he did a report several months later and called it a police riot. But you had Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, who were the heads of the Yippies. You had Dave Jallinger, an older man, conscientious subjector since the 1940s, totally a believer in nonviolence. he refused, In fact, he even refused to the draft in the early 1940s and went to jail for it. You had Tom Hayden, who was head of uh, Students for Democratic Society, and you had Rennie Davis, who was in the, in the organization with him. And then you had two people who nobody knows really why they were put in there, a guy named Lee Weiner and John Freund. They were some academics, uh, very low-key, uh, and... Basically, they came to to march. They were in parks. They had a lot of music. They were in Grant Park uh, in Chicago. And basically, a riot, a huge riot occurred on the night of the convention. The reporter for CBS, Dan Rather, was arrested, was was, was manhandled by the police. Yep. And what happened was going on at the time, the whole world was watching. The demonstrations were live on television because the reporters were on Chicago to cover the convention. And then when the march started and the police started against them all the cameras turned on the riots and what people start what the crowd started chanting was the whole world is watching the whole world is watching and it became a cry people around the world actually because this was live television at the time this was before the internet so what happened then um the question was who is going to be indicted uh ramsey clark who's the attorney general at the time he basically decided there was no reason to to, uh, to indict these anybody in the crowd because he felt that they didn't start the riot. But then Richard Nixon won the election. Richard Nixon beat beat Hubert Humphrey and talk about voter protection and everything. It's very much like today. You know, a lot of people did not vote for Hubert Humphrey because they were against him because he was Johnson's vice president. The result was a lot of Democrats stayed home and Richard Nixon won. And Richard Nixon hated these people. He hated the long-haired hippies and anybody from, quote, the left. Yeah. And he instructed his attorney general, John Mitchell, who later went to jail, by the way, in connection with Watergate. And if we remember, yeah. you remember, know, Richard Nixon had to it resign. But, but, so basically, uh, and I'll tell you, the election of Richard Nixon was a significant event in history because you can draw a straight line from the election of Richard Nixon, who was catering to the same people who are supporting Donald Trump today. Uh, the white working class, who, who have a lot of real, very real grievances, because they're not really getting their share of what's going on, and have a lot of just grievances. But he also appealed to the racists among them, and to the people who didn't like anybody who wasn't, uh, who had long hair, or wasn't white. And the a straight line directly from then until now, because that same voting block that used to vote Democratic Nixon, they voted for Nixon, and they became gradually Republican, they became gradually the Tea Party, and they're Trump's supporters today.
2: It, it's and a, again, today
3: we have... I, go ahead. Not to Please.
2: interrupt you, but I, I want to remind people of, of what we're speaking to. If you just joined us later, turned on your radio in the middle. Uh, the Trial of the Chicago 7 is the name of the book, and uh, Mark Levine is here with us, and he is, uh, he is absolutely terrific. He's one of the editors of this must must get everyone get two of these books. It'll be out very soon. Be out next week, and um, and please uh, get get a hold of this book. It's the official transcript. And if you don't think it's as relevant today as it was in 1968, you're, you're clearly mistaken. A lot of people are waiting the talk. To you, but if you can, the the parallels between this, uh, 1968 and now. Uh, a big difference is that you're seeing in the protests, you're seeing a lot of white faces, you're seeing a lot of different colors. It's not just it's not black against white. There's a lot of people that are standing up and saying, hey, this is wrong. This is uh, much different. In that way, I think it's much different than 1968. Am I am I right in my assessment?
3: Well, actually, in 1968, a lot of that crowd were whites. A lot of the people demonstrating—it was predominantly white, crowd, white people. No kidding. Oh, see that's absolutely that, it was yeah, predominantly white people. Uh, it's the people who are protesting now who are joining, it, making it biracial, if you will, in these demonstrations. It's because more blacks are now demonstrating. Blacks used to be afraid to open their mouths, if they knew the cops would clap them on their head.
2: Yeah. Well, the,
3: the, the interesting thing uh, about that
2: is I, I meant like the black, a Black Lives Matter or, or civil rights uh, uh, protest. What you're talking about here is against the war. Against the war, you're going to see a lot of against white faces war. back then. But, uh, but in, in general, the racial— uh,
3: the, You're the absolutely racial right equality. about that. Yes. You're absolutely right about that, Frank. In the, in the civil rights de- marches in Washington and elsewhere— uh, the march in Selma with John Lewis, there were a large amount of black people demonstrating. In fact, in that place, you're right, the black, black Americans led the, led the movement, John Lewis and uh, Dr. King. They led it, and the whites were joining there. Uh, it's, it was in the anti-war phase that it was mainly the whites and the blacks came along. But today, it's Everybody. And the amazing thing that happened there, just to remind your listeners, is that the government put them on trial and there was a guy named Julius Hoffman, who was the judge. And he ran a very strict not strict. He enjoyed the he enjoyed the drama. And he had repartee with the defendants. It would if he didn't do what he did, it would have been a very calm trial. And you know, and Aaron Sorkin has this movie out now called The Trial of Chicago Seven also, which shows this he captures the whole spirit. Only part of it's devoted to the trial, but he catches the spirit of the transcript, uh, but not the exact words, obviously, because that you got to read. You know, our book we boiled down from 22,000 pages. Wow. Wow, 22,000
2: pages. Listen, congratulations on the book. I wish I had more time with you. I wish I had an hour with you to discuss that. Maybe we could work that out. But uh, listen, uh, Mark, I want to thank you very much for being here. Congratulations. Give us a website. Give us a social media site where people could follow along with what you're doing and all your great voter work and, and also the book,
3: Your best place to get the book. Sure. The best place to get the book would right now be on Amazon or uh, the book is available say, on Amazon. The website is the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, and, it's, and it's a fantastic read.
2: Yeah, way to go. Congratulations and thanks to you and your co editors uh, in doing this. It's a, a perfect timing. Mark, thank you very much for being here.
3: Thank you very much, Frank. I appreciate you having me on.
2: Mark Levine, everyone. Mark L. Levine is one of the editors of the trial of the Chicago 7. And you heard the story there. I wish I had more time with him. It's a, a fascinating story. Uh, the point I was making is is on the civil rights end of things. Today, the, the protests that we're seeing is uh, on, the, uh, on the, uh, the Black Lives Matter. There you're seeing white faces, brown faces, black faces, yellow faces, all to, uh, all together. And uh, you you didn't see that during the civil rights uh, movement. You know, you saw when you saw Dr. King, you saw John Lewis, and you saw those folks together. It was uh, mostly African American people, uh, mostly. I mean, 99% African American folks, and they were getting hosed down, and they were sicking the dogs on them, and, and terrible, terrible uh, disgrace that uh, that we saw uh, the handling then. Um, now it's it's a little different, and we have a uh, you know, we have a much better, I think we have a much better law enforcement situation now than we uh, we did there. And, yes, there are problems there. We're going to, uh, you know, weed out those problems. But, again, I'll say this until uh, I'm blue in the face. Um, I am pro-law enforcement and I am pro-peaceful protest. And I, uh, I, I can't imagine that, uh, that that's not a good balance for everyone. Be, be pro-peaceful protesting. Everyone should do it. Everyone, if they're uh, if they're angry about something, they, they want to speak out. Just be peaceful about it. That, you know, the second you start writing, you're not a protester anymore. You're a thug and you're a you're a criminal. The second you start breaking people's property or hurting other folks, you're you're terrible. And from the law enforcement side, I, I'm pro law enforcement. But when you get a guy like Derek Chauvin, who murdered George Floyd, let's face it. I mean, he's a murderer. He's not. He's no longer a police officer, uh, and he. Derek Chauvin started this whole situation by murdering George Floyd uh, in uh, in in sight of a a, a camera. In sight of uh, everyone saw what he did. He murdered him, and those other folks watched him. And that is not law enforcement at its uh, at its best. That's not law enforcement at its normal. The, the folks we have in law enforcement, the men and women, uh, would never stand for that kind of uh, that kind of uh, tragedy to unfold in front of them. And the and the folks I know are just absolutely terrific. Again, I, uh, you know, we've got to be pro. At the same time, uh, good time to talk to uh, uh, Mark Levine, uh, famed voter uh, voter protection lawyer. He's a- absolutely terrific at what he does. And uh, a lot of attention, and he's the editor of this book, The Trial of the Chicago uh, 7 Get the book. The forward is by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, you know, kind of go along with it. But uh, buy the book, The Trial of the Chicago 7 7- signing off. Mark Levine, Mark L. Levine has been our very special guest, and we'll see you next time on Breaking It Down.
1: It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long
2: Island Vibes. On
1: 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay.
2: I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, award-winning actor, really one of the great character actors of our time. Emmy award-winning Michael Imperiali is here, and whether he's playing a cop or a criminal, he's, he's just terrific in everything I've ever seen him in. And, of course, you know him as Christopher Moltisanti in The Sopranos. He will never lose that. Uh, it, no one else could have played that role like he played it. Uh, but the the latest and what we'll be talking about is uh, Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector. And you can see that on Fridays on NBC, and and Michael will be there with a great cast. Michael, welcome.
4: Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here.
2: Yeah, well, let me let me ask you for a kind of a summary for folks who, who don't know anything about this, but it is based on a, on a bestseller. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a, a summary without giving everything away?
4: Yeah, I, it's based on a series of detective novels. Um, the Lincoln Rhyme series. Lincoln Rhyme is a mastermind crime-fighting detective, like on the level of Sherlock Holmes. And three years prior to our story, he is uh, seriously injured and paralyzed by this serial killer that uh, we were hunting called the Bone Collector. And three years go by, and the Bone Collector's dormant. Nothing's happening. He hasn't been caught, but we don't hear from him. And now he's back. And Lincoln Rhyme, who's, you know, confined to a bed in his home, uh, finds a way and assembles a team, and through technology, uh you know, finds a way for himself to fight crime again and specifically hunt the bone collector, the serial killer. So really it combines, like, the cinematic elements of, like, A Silence of the Lambs with, like, the profiling aspect of serial killers and stuff like that with, like, a, you know, procedural New York City cop show uh, akin to one or FCU or something
2: well listen it sounds terrific and uh yeah i mean the series is uh is great and again best-selling uh series but it sounds like the type of role and i can't speak for you and i'm a a non-actor but it sounds like the type of role that takes a lot of prep and a a lot of research uh going into this i I, am i wrong to assume that
4: well my character is mike salito he's a veteran New York detective he's a with the partner of Lincoln Ryan when Lincoln was, you know, actively on the force. Um, and for me, yeah, it's about i s I've spent a lot of time with uh detectives, you know, uh, specifically New York detectives, um, learning about many different aspects of the job. Uh, and you know, just trying to embody what that is, what that mindset is and where they're coming from and then Also, various technical aspects, like, you know, how to hold a gun, how do you go into a dangerous situation, you know, uh, all
2: that kind. Uh, listen, it's, it, it sounds terrific And uh, by the way, I know you're on the run So I don't want to keep you too long But uh, again, let me remind everyone That Michael Imperiali is our very special guest And we're talking uh, about his latest And everyone has to check it out on Fridays On NBC, Lincoln Rhyme Hunt for the Bone Collector And again, it is, uh, it, it is a must-see uh, who, who else is with you? Are, 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 you uh, are you working with folks that you've worked with before? Or this is a whole new cast for you?
4: Whole new cast for me. The other, uh, the other two leads are Russell Hornsby who plays the role of Lincoln Rhyme, and uh, Ariel Deville, and she is Amelia Sachs and uh, those roles were played by uh, Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie in the movie The Bone Collector which came out about, I don't know 15 years ago or so um, so it's based on a, a book and then a movie that came out of the book and um, Was a series of best-selling novels, so it has a great, you know, DNA and pedigree, and I think it's, uh, you know, really right for for for
2: TV. Well, listen, uh, congratulations on everything. Your your whole career has just been absolutely fabulous, It's still going uh, so strong. And this is exciting. If you can, if you can give us a website or a social media site uh, where people can kind of follow along with what you're doing.
4: Uh, Real Michael Imperioli on Instagram.
2: Well, uh, listen Mike, thanks for your your time here. I know you're on the run and you got all kinds of things going on. So uh thanks for your time and, and hope to speak to you again real soon. Thanks for having me,
4: appreciate
2: it. Mike Imperiali is uh, okay. our very special guest, uh great actor and again you you know so much of his work from uh the Sopranos and I can't imagine anyone playing Christopher Moltisanti at this point than uh than Michael. And he was, uh, he was absolutely terrific. We had a little bit of a bad connection there, and I don't know why, but uh, and, and I would have loved to have him on for a little longer. But I uh, you know, just want to remind everyone, check out Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector, Fridays at 8 p.m., uh, and seven central, 8 p.m. Eastern, and it's on H. Uh, I'm sorry, HBO. I'm so used to The Sopranos being. <laughs> By the way, Sopranos has been off for over 10 years. Keep that in mind. It, it doesn't feel like that, but it's on NBC, and uh, you know, it's it sounds like a smart show. And again, Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector is the name of it, and Michael Imperiali plays a, a detective, a brilliant cop, and uh, you know, and so forth. But uh, it's based on a on a series of great uh, books, best-selling books, and uh, again, the name of it is Lincoln Rhyme. Hunt for the Bone Collector. Michael Imperiali uh, has been our very special guest, and and again, you go back to some of his his other work, and uh, he's done uh, tremendous uh, work in, in so many different things. I and just even you know even recently, uh, in uh, Mad Dogs, Blue Bloods. California, California Cation, uh, and uh, Hawaii Five-O, Lucifer, uh, Summer Sam. He he co-wrote uh, Summer Sam, if I if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, he did, and that was directed by Spike Lee. Uh, I mean, he's really spread himself out, and uh, again, I, you know, some sometimes you get that big role, that signature role as uh you know, as he did with Christopher maltisante and, and you can't think of him in anything else, but he I'll tell you what, he uh he, he tries different things. He uh he does um you know a lot of different types of work and again a lot of it's based around crime, no question about that. But he is uh, he's as good as they get. He is a terrific, terrific actor and uh you know, and he's one of those guys who was in Fellows and and The Sopranos. They got, there's a long list of folks that have uh, appeared in both uh, both of them, and uh, and and he's one of them. He was Spider as uh, as a young actor. He got shot in the foot if you remember by Joe Pesci, and uh, and you know he was uh, asking him to dance and whatever, and he, he wised back to uh, Pesci's character and he shot him in the shot him in the foot. They parodied that in The Sopranos. And uh, he went into a bakery. If you remember, remember Michael uh, Imperiali went to um, uh, went to uh, the bakery, and a uh, guy was giving him a uh, give him a little bit of lip. And uh, he locked the door, and he kicked. Uh, well, it, it, Joey G. He wasn't Vito for at the time, but he was playing some other role there. And he, he pushed him out, and got everybody out. And he pulled the gun on the guy and ended up shooting him in the foot. And that was kind of the parody of that. But again, I I wish I had him long. I was having a bad connection, and uh, unfortunately. But uh, Michael Imperiali is uh, just a a, a great, great actor. And I'd love to have him on uh, again in the future for a a much longer time. Uh, Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector. Is the his latest? That, that's what he's promoting, and I'd like everyone, to watch that Fridays at eight Eastern, seven Central, on NBC. And uh, again, Michael Imperiali, Emmy Award winner, and a long, long resume, just tremendous. But again, Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector is uh, is the name NBC check it out he plays detective michael Sal- salido or salido whatever he he says it better than me that's for sure and uh, you know we'll take it from there the uh, the Denzel Washington um movie I never saw it but i mean it's uh, you know it, it got very good reviews as well but uh, again this is uh, uh this, this is uh this is another interesting thing to watch uh, somebody that you knew so well or i knew so well and uh, the uh, sopranos role and and you see him playing something else and in this case a, a, you know very bright cop and it's different and and if you've seen him in in uh, you know, play a cop. He's uh, just re- very, very good. Michael Imperiali, once again, has been our very special guest, Frank McKay, signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down.
1: In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay.
0: Long Island is definitely the place for you.
1: Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM, Hampton Bays.
2: I'd like to welcome right. everyone. To breaking it down frank mckay here so much more importantly nick reynolds is the author of a, a just a, a great book uh, he is um he is someone everyone has got to know the name of the book is need to know world war ii and the rise of american intelligence and nicholas reynolds is the uh, is the tagline uh well is the uh, is the author and uh, uh the book is just a must especially now with what's going on uh why not hear it from somebody who's been on the inside and uh, has so much intelligence of his own to kind of impart to us uh, Frank McKay here much more importantly Nick Reynolds is our very special guest Nick how are you
5: I'm doing well thank you very much
2: give us a quick overview of the book and and uh, when did it start what was the genesis of this book
5: so there's It started in my mind um many years ago and i've been i've been a i started as a historian around nineteen seventy and then I've had various detours obviously um but i uh, a friend of mine named David Kahn who is the the principal historian of code breakers uh, told me, he said, you know, nobody's ever done a general history of American intelligence in World War II that looks at the bigger picture and looks at the different kinds of intelligence. So code breaking is just one kind of intelligence. What I'm trying to do in this book is look at the various kinds of intelligence. And uh, my good friend David is the one who got me started on that long. This idea has been percolating in my head for a, a a long time uh, i guess one of the small benefits of the pandemic uh, i had to do something while i was uh locked up at home um, so the uh that's the genesis in the, in the, the origin story of the book in a nutshell um the the what so the the book itself in a nutshell what's why should you read this what's it about so um basically around 1940 before we get into world war 2 world war 2 starts in 39 uh, but we're on the sidelines for the first couple of years, and um, America has almost nothing. We're almost naked when it comes to intelligence, supposedly the first line of defense, and so the the big picture story the narrative arc is we go from a cottage industry you know a few craftsmen here and there doing various things to by the end of the war a industrial conglomerate we see um you know the united the united states uh, wakes up and uh produces and there's just this amazing establishment and then we see this establishment uh Laying the foundations for intelligence in the Cold War. Um, every war before this, at the end of the war, we just sent the folks home, and uh, basically, when the next war came, we started all over again as if we'd never had a war before. And in this case, uh... you kind of we, we we yes, there's some downsizing, but um, people stick around and become um, the agencies that we know, the three-letter agencies that we know today.
2: Let me let me ask you this. And, and, you know, we you know, you you alluded to uh, the fact that there's been uh, intelligence agents over the years. I mean, you had uh, Alan Pinkerton, right? I mean, and, uh, you know, Lincoln's by Lincoln's side. And and well before that, I mean, uh, Washington had uh, had agents that were out there spying. And and so, I mean, we've had it is is World War Two kind of the start of the modern age of of what we now know as intelligence agencies
5: yes and uh, that's that's my argument Uh, world war ii is when the the modern um when we see the modern expression of american intelligence when it when it starts to grow from uh this little thing into this big thing and uh, i don't think american intelligence is going anywhere there's a there's a theory among historians that once you establish a bureaucracy or an agency it's really hard to um to reduce it or uh change it or or take it away so um you might see some some changes but uh i think world war 2 marked the cha- marked the, the the birth of uh this process
2: what's your background in uh in the intelligence field Um, You know, I I know somewhat of your uh, resume, and it's very impressive, but if you can give us, give the audience a little background on you.
5: So, uh, as I mentioned a a little earlier, um, I start out being a historian. uh, Then I joined the Marine Corps, and uh, I'm an infantry officer in the Marine Corps, but I wind up being a historian for the Marine Corps. Uh, And I stay in the Reserves. Uh, then I joined the c i a and i'm trained as an operations officer, but I worked both uh overseas and at home. I actually enjoyed uh, i i don't think bureaucracy is a bad word and i i think there there are uh, people who do uh great things who are uh, bureaucrats and I was one of these bureaucrats uh working here in washington uh so i worked you, you know you you, you have what's um, a good way? One of the things I did was resettlement. Um, I was involved in espionage. Um, <clears throat> another thing I did was I worked on the uh, office of, at the Office of Inspector General, where you it's kind of in-house management consultants. Uh, and probably um, most importantly for this book, I uh, was the historian at the CIA Museum for five years.
2: I, really, it's uh, you know a lot of information there. i'm I'm thrilled that you're imparting it to us. it's uh, we don't often get that from uh, folks who have been involved in in the in the three letter agencies as you put it. Um, again, let me remind folks need to know World War II and the rise of American intelligence. Nicholas Reynolds is our very special guest, and we have him for another minute or two. Uh, Nick, give us something that we must know about this book before we Uh, before we read it and uh, you know and again uh, we don't want to spoil anything we want everybody to buy buy the book but uh, give us something give us something uh, to take away uh, before we get the book
5: okay I have some heroes in the book and they're really colorful characters Uh, one of them is a guy named Joe Rocheford and he works in a bunker at Pearl Harbor and he's the guy uh, who before December 7th. He doesn't put it all together uh, for various reasons. After December 7th, he does put it all together and he gives us the Battle of Midway or uh, enables us to find the Japanese fleet uh, and engage it and defeat it uh, at the Battle of Midway. Uh, 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 just a just a, you know he he 's not a he doesn 't start out to be a superstar he he, uh, he never graduates from high school he learns japanese he learns uh, he gets a commission in the navy he um, learns how rudimentary code breaking he re- learns something called traffic analysis and there 's nobody there 's no career track here this is uh um, you know, there's not somebody saying, Okay, you know, now you gotta uh you gotta do this and then you gotta do that. Uh he just kinda of figures it out figures it all out for himself. So I I really admire guys like that who who uh start in the field of intelligence before there's uh sort of, there's a defined career track and a set of regulations and and uh procedures. So um follow those guys. You you can a, he he appears in a few chapters of the book, and you see other guys uh, with similar uh, career tracks who or uh, who start out with very little, and by way of intelligence knowledge, and then by the end of the war have accomplished uh, quite a bit.
2: Uh, Nick congratulations on a wonderful career thank you for thank your you. service to the uh, to the country and okay. give us a website or a social media site we could follow along uh, with and in order to follow along with what you're doing
5: so uh, I have a website uh, it's almost uh, it's Nicholas Reynolds com, and uh, Harper Collins has a website And each author has a page on the website, so it's harpercollins.com, and then you you go to author, and then you'll see um, reviews of the book and events and whatnot. So, uh, look forward to seeing folks
2: there. Uh, Nicholas Reynolds, thanks for being here. You bet. My pleasure. Need to Know, World War II and the Rise of American Intelligence by Nicholas Reynolds (laughs) is a book you should get. And you know again, the start of modern day intelligence, and so many folks are interested in uh, in the, the three letter agencies. You know the FBI, the CIA, and uh was it, the OSS uh, prior to uh, uh, to the CIA, and um, yeah, I mean a uh, lot lot goes on uh, between the pages of this book, and Nick Reynolds is. Uh, type of guy that you you want to hear from I mean a lot of people are historians and they 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 are not participants and and you don't blame them for that. I mean there are excellent historians that have delved very deeply into all of these things that that uh, he's talking about um, but very few former CIA agents have put together uh, books that go this detailed into uh, the, uh, the the intelligence world. So you know, either because they can't or they uh, they're they're not comfortable doing it, or somehow or another they're still working, um, in uh, you know in and around the agency. So this is kind of an interesting take. Nicholas Reynolds, again, is the author of this book, and he's had you know a tremendous success throughout his career. Former Marine, and you know a sailor, and you know, a lot of things. Need to know. World War II and the Rise of American Intelligence is the name of the book. Nick Reynolds has been our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down.
1: This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bay's.